Philip, being a Hellenistic Jew and a Christian now, he's not in a friendly environment in, some, in Samaria. But Philip does not allow the existing hostility to affect the mission that God has for him. We are told from verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. He is just a faithful refugee who decides to continue to remain faithful in his relationship with the Lord. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There's a spiritual awakening in Samaria because of Philip's faithfulness. And as he continues to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that everyone was waiting for, as he continues to proclaim him, one person, we are told, his name is Simon. Simon the sorcerer. He's a magician, a prophet-making magician, a dominating character, an influential person whom everyone looks down to, up to in that city. They praise him as possessing the power of God. Simon, we are told, he makes a public confession. He believes and he is baptized together with other believers. You look at verse 9. For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. He's rightly called the great power of God. Philip comes preaching, the Holy Spirit doing signs and wonders. Simon sees that and he realizes this power that I'm seeing is greater than the power that I have. And Simon joins uh, Philip. He follows Philip. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, when, when someone like that comes out and makes a public confession, Christians rejoice. 
right? This is where everyone is. Even Simon has believed. That's why Christians are so quick to support missionaries that go to, uh, to Islamic countries than they are in supporting missionaries that uh, are serving in the, in the U.S., because we think if they can, there's something that makes us think that when a, a Muslim comes to Christ, it's, it's greater than when another person comes to Christ. Uh, and I think that is not right. He believed and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Philip is preaching. There is a spiritual awakening. People are getting saved. The apostles in Jerusalem hear about it. They hear that the Samaritans are believing also. So because of the hostility that exists, because of the prejudice that exists, because of the Jews looking down upon Samaritans, they send Peter and John to Samaria to come and confirm whether what is happening is true. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard, verse 14, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is one of the passages in the Bible that can be confusing. Because you read this and then you start asking yourself questions. It doesn't follow the natural sequence that we have seen in the book of Acts and that we are going to see in the uh, other passages. But we, let me just take you back. In Acts chapter 2, believers, the disciples who were there, they were with Jesus when Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, promised them the Holy Spirit uh, in the upper room. They received the Holy Spirit for the first time because Jesus is going. The Holy Spirit is taking over. Jesus is going. He is taking over by his Holy Spirit. He's still he's coming back in his abiding presence to indwell believers. So they receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that reception is evidenced by the ability to speak in other languages, otherwise known as tongues. 
Peter proclaims Christ, 3,000 people get saved and are baptized. Okay? They are baptized. They are immersed. They submit to baptism. The Bible doesn't say that they receive the Holy Spirit. But it also doesn't say that they don't. Okay? So, we are left there to make an assumption. If they believed they were baptized, the Bible says something. It says, and 3,000 were added to the church. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he baptizes us into Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is done by the Holy Spirit. So the assumption is they became believers. They received the Holy Spirit. Because he has already told us that the Holy Spirit has come. Okay? The next thing we see, we hear now, is not the reception of the Holy Spirit, but the feeling of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, we are told, Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. They proclaim Christ. The layman is healed. Believers, other believers come to Christ. Again, 2,000 are added to the church. We don't hear about receiving the Holy Spirit. And then... When Peter and John are warned not to preach in the name of Jesus, they go back to other believers. They tell them what they have been told. And then together they pray. And we are told the place where they were, that house, that room, is shaken. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they proclaim God's word boldly okay so what you hear now is the feeling and every time you hear the feeling of the holy spirit it's telling you that the holy spirit takes control at that moment he is in fully control feeling is when we allow him to own us when he increases in us and we decrease And then we see when the seven are chosen, they are men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So you don't hear the language about receiving the Holy Spirit from there until chapter 8. So the question becomes, this believed they were baptized, and yet they did not receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Is the Holy Spirit delayed here? I'm glad you asked. And we will continue to unfold this as we go. But what appears to be happening here is that because of the attitude of the Jews toward the Samaritans, God is doing this intentionally so that they can confirm that the Samaritans too have become believers. So that they, Jews, can see the Samaritans as equals before Christ. That's why... 
Peter and John, among some of the pillars of the church, come. And they lay hands on them, they pray, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The reception of the Holy Spirit here probably is evidenced by something that we are not told. Something must have happened for people to know that these believers have received the Holy Spirit. Maybe they spoke in tongues. Maybe they did something where the author did not see it necessary to tell us. Because he has shown us what has been happening. So when Peter and John come and they pray and they see this happening, they go back and inform others, yes, the same Holy Spirit that we received is the same Holy Spirit that the Samaritans have received. And guess what? The gospel here brings equality. The gospel is the great equalizer. The Samaritans are not second-class believers. That's what the Lord is telling the Jews. They are not half-breeds as you see them when it comes to my work in them. They are from now going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that brings joy. Let's go back and look at this man, Simon. When he sees in verse 18 that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we are told at first there that Simon also believed and was baptized. But when you listen to his words here, it tells us that he wasn't among those who received the Holy Spirit. And because we are told when he saw. So this means he's looking from outside the believers. He's seeing it happen. And then he turns to Peter and John. He says, wow, I can make a lot of money with this. And so he asks them, I am I'm ready to pay for it. I need this power that you have so that I can also give out the Holy Spirit probably at a price. So the author here wants us to see who Simon really is. And listen to what Peter says. In verse 20, Peter answered him, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. The gift of God is not for sale. You have no part. Listen to this. You 
have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. You are not a believer. Do you know how your heart is made right, is made right with God? When you realize that you are a sinner and you repent, there is peace between you and God when you repent. Your heart is not right with God. Verse 22, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. This is where you expect Simon to be humbled, to be sorrowful, to repent. But listen to what he says. I mean, Peter finishes and says, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You have not yet been set free. Do you know how you are set free from the captivity of sin? It is by realizing that you are in bondage and turning to Christ in repentance to be forgiven, to receive his Holy Spirit and become a child of God. Then Simon, instead of repenting, he says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Pray that I may not get what you have said. No, pray. He doesn't say pray that the Lord may forgive me. Pray that the Lord may save me. Pray that nothing you have said may happen to me. He is not sorrowful. Simon is the kind of person who looks religious, who sings so well, who can even raise his or her hand during worship service. He's the kind of person who gives. He's the kind of person that appears to be religious, comes into church and finds his or her way into leadership. There are many Simons in churches today. He's the kind of person that appears to follow Christ, but he has vested interest. We need to check our hearts. We need to check our hearts whether we are following Christ for the right reasons. We need to check our hearts whether we are serving the Lord for the right reasons. 
when I'm preaching so that I may gain recognition, I am like Simon. When you are serving the Lord, intending to get power, you are like Simon. When we use our spiritual gifts to profit ourselves or to promote ourselves, we are like Simon. We need to check our hearts as believers whether we are serving Christ for the right reasons. Every time you see Christians fighting for power, fighting for positions, that is the Simon spirit. We need to check our hearts. I learned this the hard way, and I will never forget it. I had gone to teach, and then we had a conflict with uh, one of the teachers in a Bible college. And I knew that I was the best there. Okay. So my pride, began to work in me. And so the principal of the college, the next day, I was seated with him waiting for my time to teach. And I told him, I, I really, because of what happened yesterday, I don't feel like teaching today. And my intention for saying that was because I wanted him to, to pamper me, you know, to maybe tell me, oh, you know, everyone wants to hear you, you know, you are the best. You... And I wanted that. My pride was crying for praise. <laughs> but he looked at me and he said, it's okay. If you don't feel like teaching, you don't have to teach. And I felt like, how can you say that? I mean, how can you say that? I sat with him there and I said, well, I'll, I'll teach. But I was so humbled. I was so ashamed of myself. But the Holy Spirit used that moment to teach me a lesson that I will never forget. I'm even ashamed sharing it with you right now. But I learned a lesson that day, that the gifts that God has given us are for himself, for his glory, not for our glory, 
not for our self-promotion. We need to check our hearts. How many times have you been tempted or refused to serve because you thought you were not given the respect that you think you deserve? Or you are not introduced the way you think you should have been introduced? No one even cared to say thank you when you did it last time. And God has given you that gift for himself. He's not given it to you so that you can keep it or control it. He's given it to you for himself to glorify him. We need to check our hearts. We may not face persecution as the disciples, the believers in in this text do. But we do face and we will continue to face trials of different kinds. Experiences that will tempt to make us doubt the faithfulness of God. And when I look at this text and when I look at Philip, who continues to be faithful, whose faithfulness, despite being persecuted and scattered, brings a revival in a city that is looked down upon, When I look at Philip and see how his faithfulness is used by God to glorify God, I see a lesson here for all of us. There is a simple lesson, and I hope you will remember it for the rest of your life. And the lesson is, When trials come, we display our faith. That in the face of the trials we face, we will remain faithful. Because trials give us a stage where our faith can be displayed. God will allow those trials in our lives, not because he wants to torture us, but because he wants us to stand strong and to continue trusting him. And true believers will be squeezed, will be scattered, 
They will face different kind of trials. You may lose your memory. You may lose your health. You may lose your marriage. You may lose your faith, your, your loved one. But if you are a believer, nothing will stop you from trusting the Lord. You will be tempted. You will be tempted. And when it happens, I want you to remember that trials give us an opportunity to display our faith. And so when trials come, we display our faith. Because the same God who permits trials also provides the grace that we need to deal with the trials. And I have seen believers who have stood with the Lord, believers that are going through pain and they can be tempted to complain they are going through pain. And even though they may ask questions, their faith in the Lord is not shattered. I've seen believers who look at their children and how the enemy is working on them. How the enemy is misleading them. But because of their faith in the Lord, they are not shattered. They remain faithful. And this is a lesson for us because, my friends, we will face those difficulties. It may not be a persecution as the disciples face, but you will face those moments in your life when you see the health of your, loving, your loved one going away, when you see your own health fading away, when you look at your children and you wonder, what happened? I raised them in the Lord. What happened? When you look at your grandchildren and wonder, what happened? When you look at the culture and you wonder what is happening. As a believer, you can still remain faithful. Because God, even in those moments, he continues to provide you with his grace. The grace that you need to deal with what is happening to your life. Because of Philip's faithfulness, the Samaritans who are looked down upon become believers. The gospel brings acceptance and joy to all who believe in Jesus. And that's why we will continue to say and to practice here. We will continue to say that our goal is to connect with people from all walks of life. Because we know that the gospel is the great equalizer. 
It doesn't matter where you are coming from. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle has been. We know that Jesus has power to transform you. Do you know how we know it? Because he has transformed us. We have experienced that power. We have every reason to display our faith. And look here, Philip is not an apostle. Philip is just a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He's not a pastor. He's not a church elder. He was just appointed to serve widows. Yet, during persecution, he remains faithful and the Lord uses him. The Lord can use you. He can use you. You know, some of you, the young people that are here, you may look at yourself and say, if I was a pastor's child, maybe I would be different. There is nothing in the Bible that promises something different to a pastor's child. What God is looking for is your faithfulness. It's not even your age. It's your faithfulness. And if you choose to remain faithful, you will see and experience his power and his grace. God will not let you down. And for all of us here, when we find ourselves in those moments that tempt our faith, those experiences that bring fear to our hearts, let us give God what he desires most, our faithfulness. Let us choose to be faithful. And in this case, we need to choose to be faithful in proclaiming his word. This is what Philip does. Philip does. 